Hello, I'm Dr. Len Baer, the host of Targeted Justice v. Garland, a podcast about an extraordinary lawsuit that is set to change the course of history in the United States and worldwide. We're going to do it by exposing and stopping the 21st century version of the Stasi regime that has been combined with advanced biosurveillance methods and the use of directed energy weapons, along with remote neural monitoring and torture-based psyops perpetrated against civilian population in the United States and all around the world. And yes, it's a mouthful. It's a lot of digest and accept, but only you have not been paying attention. There's no doubt in my mind that all this nefarious use of technology will be eventually exposed. I can't tell you when. I can only ask you to start paying attention. Last episode was an eye-opener for many of our listeners. 22 false and misleading statements in a single court order can only be described by one phrase, ay, ay, ay. It's an actual judicial term, meaning extremely rare and unfair treatment of the plaintiffs, which I learned from the attorney for plaintiffs of Pellants, Anna Toledo. Yes, 22 false and misleading statements is an extremely high number. And last time we reviewed only the first 10 of them. And today we will delve into the remaining 12. Dear Anna, how are you and are you ready for the challenge? Yes, I am. I am. I'm ready. Very good. Good morning. Happy Sunday to you. Good morning. And our special guest today is joining us from Paris, France. Astrid Stockelberger, PhD, is an international health scientist who has been conducting and directing clinical, epidemiological, and uh, multidisciplinary studies for the last 25, 30 years for various policymakers, including the WHO. Astrid, welcome to the show. Uh, thank you, Len, for this introduction. Hello, Anna, and I'm very happy to join you and discuss this really important and very neglected topic in uh, in our movement. Thank you, Astrid, for this acknowledgement. We're happy to have you today. We will speak to Astrid later in the show, once we're done with our legal segment. Anna, before we start uh, reviewing the false and misleading statements, do you have any special announcements about the case? Yes, I have about the case and some administrative things that are also about the case. So I'm going to go real fast uh, through them. First of all, as I expected, the government asked for an extension of time of 45 days. The clerk, even though within three hours of them filing their motion, I filed an opposition uh, stating, you know, it was unjustified because they alleged that the attorney was too busy. And he had other commit prior commitments, even though he was announced the day after I filed uh, the brief. Well, uh, they granted them 30 days uh, to, you know, they're, they've been extending and extending the inevitable. So they have uh, 30 additional days, and that is until um, the 6th of November. Uh, but, you know, I, you know how I, I know that uh, the, the, the torture for so many targeted individuals has become 
has increased severely. And don't think that any of us are not accepted, exempted from that. So I, I just want people to know that I'm going to be working very hard so to make it a goal uh, so that as soon as they file, I already, since I know what they're going to say, well, I can start writing a reply from, from now. And that's exactly what I'm doing. And and in this context, I'm, when we discuss uh, the false and misleading statements, I'll um, discuss a, a recent case came in three days ago, which is absolutely precious for our case. But before that, I want to just touch on uh, various things. First of all, we did an easier way for the registry at, uh, it's going to be in the show notes, I send them to Julen, uh, in, within the Targeted Justice page, it's called Lawsuit Register, and it's through Microsoft Forms. And since we know that the government criminals like to hack our information, what, what I am pleading everybody to do is do a cross-check, which is send me personally um, an email to TJ Register, it's going to be in the show notes, to TJ Register uh, uh, and also in the form saying I, just a, a subject line. You don't have to write anything or don't tell me, you know, a whole story because I'm not going to read it. Just say I registered and I'll check that that email is in the forms that we are collecting because it is my um, belief that, as because it happened with one of the TIs that wrote to me yesterday. She wrote to me and said, I already registered. And when I looked up in Microsoft Forms, her registry was not there. So uh, we're going to, and, and so if you write to me to TJ register at Proton.me, I, I will personally verify that the registration is in there. Second thing is that because of the extension of time, well, then we will probably, the, the date for the oral argument, if and when it's granted, I don't see why the court wouldn't grant it because it's the first time any court in the United States would be ruling on this controversy, which is, how can you have innocent non-terrorist on a terrorist database? Well, for that, uh, you know that we're planning for the rally and it is really important you visit our Etsy store and everybody try to have a, a TJ t-shirt, whichever you like. We have a, a wonderful, we have a community of very talented and intelligent people. And even though he has prohibited me from uh, saying his name, I'm just immensely grateful because all of the art in the Etsy shop, or most of it has been done by him, except the stickers that were done by beautiful Raquel, uh, two of the stickers. So uh, I urge you to, if you are going to go to the rally, please secure yourself a t-shirt and it takes a little while for them to ship it. So uh, the sooner the better. Uh, the other thing that I want to um, talk about, which is very important is we're discovering a trend. We think that part of the gang stalking perpetrated on targeted individuals is carried out through utility bills, through unreasonable utility bills. If you uh, here in Houston last year, there were 568 uh, complaints because people got all of a sudden $15,000 bills. And we believe that it is one of the mechanisms the fusion centers of cities are using to target individuals. So if you have such a situation, please write to us at tjustice2 at proton.me with a subject line utility, um, I don't know, utility bill, right? It's usually the water, uh, the water bill, because without water, we cannot live and they threaten to sh shut it off. So you go into a payment plan and it's all to drain your finances. 
for water you didn't consume. So please write to us about that. And the only one last announcement I have, I'm sorry, it's, it's they're accumulating is tonight at 7 p.m. East, uh, Central Time, 8 p.m. Eastern Time, I'm going to have in Spanish uh, a live in Rumble, which is my channel. Also, I sent it to you for my for the show notes. Ana Salada, A-N-A-S-A-L-A-D-A. -A -A -A. Ana Salada in Rumble and in live is A Toledo PR in Facebook because I'm going to be talking for people that don't know yet. They haven't realized that they are targeted individuals. Five of, five of the 200 and something signs I have, if you have... if Five of these occurred to you in the past month. It's very likely you're a targeted individual. And excuse me, I'll do it in English later, but I have to do it in Spanish because there's so much people that are like me. I was in La La Land. Anyway, so that's all the uh, announcements I had. Sorry for taking so long. But um, let's go on with uh, your slides, Len. We're ready to continue our journey into false and misleading statements. Last time we reviewed one through 10, and today's part two, statements 11 through 12. And we go right into number 11. Calvert and Stewart do not allege how they obtained <laughs> this information, two of our plaintiffs. And you, Anna, you call it false. You said Calvert and Stewart submitted uncontested statements under penalty of perjury where they elaborated on their original allegations as to how they learned they were on TSDB. Please expand. Yeah, well, actually, in the in the amendment amended complaint, it is explained. It's, you know, it's explained. Remember that the allegations of a complaint have to just give notice to the other part of the other party of the allegations. It doesn't have to go in detail as when you go in discovery. And even then, we explained in detail both in the amended complaint and in uh, and elaborated in sworn statements submitted in support of the preliminary injunction that plaintiff Calvert was on the floor. I mean, it, it doesn't get more detailed than that. With the blood clot and the sheriffs came in and said, we're not going to let the ambulance people in here because we have to secure the area because it, it we were told a terrorist lived on the premises. That's on the complaint. And the same with Karen Stewart. It is alleged that she went to, a, I think it's a Leon County uh, sheriff's office and a person there, the person that was in charge looked at something like 12 to 20 folders and looked up her name and said, I cannot talk to you anymore. Those two are clear prima facie allegations that they know how they found out they were on the list. Okay, so that a conclusion is, is clearly erroneous and does not take as true the well-pled facts of the complaint, which is the most important rule any court has to adhere to when deciding, ruling upon a motion to dismiss. You have to take as true the well-pled facts, and they are exceptionally well-pled. It's not that I'm like, you know, being a, a gloating about it, but it's very true. They're just, you know, without adjectives, just the facts stated there. Understood. Next to number 12, only Calvert and Stewart allege that their names are included on a blacklist. And you say, mm, false. All plaintiffs alleged 
to be on the TSDB. I wish I had that sound for the falls. (laughs) 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 Exactly. And so this gives me a total whiplash. So in the previous one, they said, they said, well, they didn't really allege. And then in the in the next one, they sell really just only Calvert and Stewart alleged. So what is going on? My head is spinning, and it's not from directed energy. <laughs> Please explain. Well, this is false in so many ways, and I'll tell you why. Just like you said. Oh wait a minute! Didn't didn't they just say that they didn't say that they didn't allege it? That's one. The other thing is that uh, pursuant to Fifth Circuit say, uh, precedent. Uh, if one or two of the plaintiffs said the injury, in fact, establish it, 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 that plaintiff establishes it for the rest of the plaintiffs. And number three, I made a list of the paragraphs where each plaintiff specifically alleged on information, I believe, I am on that list. And why is it done that way? Because me, as an attorney, signing a pleading, I have to make sure that I am absolutely certain of what I sign. And so uh, in this case, you know, we know there is, it is the theory of the plaintiffs. There is a correlation between being illegally being included on this list, people that are not terrorists and being targeted. So um, yeah, it's, it's so erroneous in so many ways. And it co- even contradicts, like you say, it's prior statement. So I, I don't get it. All right. Number 13 the plaintiff's handling code terminology is drawn from a Baltimore Police Department document. Eh, false. The handling code terminology comes from U.S. Department of Justice Audit Report. False. Well, that is just so outrageously false because uh, we even included with a complaint part of the United States Department of Justice audit reports making reference to the non-investigative subjects, but most importantly, it's uh, Office of the Inspector General Report 08-16, which talks in detail about how the FBI does not comply with its own regulations when it lists, includes, maintains, and does not remove non-investigative subjects from the TSDB. So uh, I, I, I couldn't have made that up because the reason why it's in the Baltimore Police Department document is because it comes from the FBI. And the FBI gives police departments instructions throughout the nation to look around, do an investigation. Don't tell them they're on the list, but look around to see if you find something. That's why I tell all targeted individuals to be super extra cautious do not argue with police. Do not put yourself in a position where they can entrap you and fabricate cases against you. Okay, so uh, that's that's their instruction. That's the FBI instruction. And uh, recently, maybe three weeks ago, Larry Loomer put a video out on how these two cops in uh, Florida were like, "Oh, here it says there in the ter- TSCB. What is this? A terrorist list? What they say? We have to call. We have to call the center." And, and all of this is being recorded, and they didn't know they weren't even supposed to tell the person that he was on the terrorist database. Yes, this story just is getting better and better. Uh, we're up to number 14. The plaintiffs refer to the subset of names individuals subjects to exceptions 
to the reasonable suspicion standard as non-investigative subject. False again. The term non-investigative subject, as you say, is contained in the same U.S. Department of Justice audit report of the terrorist screening centers, the same document. Yeah, we even ahead. included in the, sorry, in the lawsuit, we included a graph about the handling codes. We included a, a graph that came from one of the audit reports directly. It's like cut and paste. Like most of the pleadings are cut and paste from those reports, from, from our news articles, from uncontroverted material, our uncontroverted material facts that come from uncontroverted documents. And if you do that, uh, we even, I even pasted on the motion because this false statement was presented by the government to the district court. So the district court adopts this conclusion relying on the deceptive information that the government provided to the court. And the way you can confirm it is incorrect and it's not it's not true is that if you do a Google search of non-investigative subjects, you get 22,000 hits in less than a second. I couldn't have made that term up. Plaintiffs couldn't have made that term up. It's contained in all of the audit reports of the terrorist screening center. So in this situation, I, I want to uh, bring to the attention because the district court adopted many of the arguments and incorrect assertions and incorrect statements of fact that the government wrote in their arguments, in their motions to dismiss. Plaintiffs filed motions with the court saying they are lying to you because we have number one, false statement number one, false statement number two, and here's the proof. The circuit court just came down with this uh, decision that was filed September 12th, and it said uh, here, the defendants unacceptably hid the ball with respect to elementary jurisdictional facts. The, the main jurisdictional fact that we just discussed before here is that uh, they did not want, for three months, they did not want to answer the motion to compel requesting the information on each of the plaintiffs' terrorist screening database status. And the reason is, and that is an essential jurisdictional fact, even though we asked for it. Why? Because if they stated, if they allowed it, the court would not have been able to dismiss the case. So um, in, in, this, in this case, Fifth Circuit sent a, was, had very harsh words for the intentional deception and uh, misrepresentations uh, to the court uh, with an overall conduct that constitutes a cover-up and in violation of federal and local rules, and the most important being violation of their duty of candor. I stated that I, I invoked the duty of candor to the court in my motions regarding defendants back and forth. Well, they didn't allege they're on the list, but they, they don't allege it properly. Well, they allege it, but they don't. But it, it was as easy for them to say, no, they're not on the list and say it under oath. And they can't because they know that each and every plaintiff is on that list illegally. So non-investigative subjects, 
We did not concoct that term. That term was concocted by FBI and uh, the DOJ, and the DOJ attorneys should have known this prior to saying to the court that plaintiffs concocted that term. No, I totally understand. It makes sense that the FBI and the DOJ would play games with these terms, but how come the judge in the district court did not see through these games? She just accepted it. It doesn't feel right. It, it doesn't feel right that a judge with so many years on the bench would fall for something so obviously wrong. With that, number 15, the plaintiff's alleged harm is not only undefined, it is not traceable to the defendant conduct. So they're trying to separate themselves from, from the allegation. And you say false. Defendants are responsible not only for illegally and secretly placing plaintiffs on the TSDB, knowing they do not represent the terrorist threat, but also responsible for distributing it throughout the nation and in 60 countries. So what kind of word game are they playing in this false statement, Anna? Well, the first thing is that it is not accurate to say it is, in fact, incorrect to say that the harm is not undefined because plaintiffs clearly allege in so many paragraphs that um, the government is defaming them by including them in this terrorist list that is distributed to 18,000 state, tribal, and federal law enforcement, to 533 corporations, and 1,440 organizations and 60 countries. They, the, all those people get this list where plaintiffs' name, plaintiffs are designated as suspected terrorists. The Supreme Court already, this, this thing about, this, this idea that their alleged harm is undefined, no, it is government defamation. There is nothing more atrocious than for the government to call an innocent person a suspected terrorist. It closes the doors on every realms of, of life from like uh, one of our plaintiffs almost dying because the ambulance uh, almost didn't get him on time to the uh, to the hospital because the sheriffs had to secure the area um, to say other things that could also be life-saving like you know denying you the right the, the opportunity the the service basically of um sending money to a loved one uh, through western union because suspected terrorists are prohibited from doing that and so uh, when this distribution throughout the nation what it does is that it also activates uh you know it, it just activates a uh, uh, a lot of private individuals against these people because they all think you're a suspected terrorist. So I don't even want to think of, of people that have been denied entry to universities, um, you know, how their lives have been affected in so many ways because of this government, unfair, illegal government defamation. And the, it, it, the Supreme Court has determined, which is the case that we asked for judicial notice in Ramirez, in TransUnion versus Ramirez, the Supreme Court has determined that Falsely labeling a person as a suspected terrorist causes concrete harm 
that produces injury in fact susceptible of redressability in the Article Three courts. So, and and the only people responsible for the inclusion, illegal inclusion of innocent non-terrorists on the terrorist database are the terrorist screening center, the FBI, Mr. Ray, and Mr. Cable with their policies and their pressure to special agents to label as terrorists people that clearly don't meet the criteria. So it's completely traceable to at least uh, you know those defendants and also to Mr. Garland, who is also a defendant, because he has failed, even though all those audit reports talk about uh, the uh, irregularities in the operations of the terrorist screening center, he has not carried out his duty to ensure that people's civil rights are uh, respected. And that is his duty because the FBI is an agency under his control. To me, it's a very sad time in history where we're going through because uh, when he stated that the law is equally applied to everybody, that is particularly not true when it comes to targeted individuals whose rights are abused and that the Department of Justice is not listening to the victims. We have women that are being raped through directed energy weapons and he doesn't believe the victims. He calls them fantastical, that the allegations are fantastical and uh, conspiracy theories. Uh, I just think that um, it, it's just a very sad uh, time that we're going through because um, a, targeted individuals are victims of a silent Holocaust and the, the Justice Department is not paying attention and it's not believing all victims. And it's definitely not applying the laws in the same way as it does to other people. So we, you know, as I, I tweeted about it, I think we are targeted individuals have become a case of second class citizens in the United States. Very true, very true. So to wrap up this uh, false statement, uh, number 15, the word not traceable is simply a laughable proposition. Number 16, the plaintiffs primarily argue that the motion to dismiss improperly asks the court to resolve disputed facts. Well, first, I, I couldn't understand what they're actually talking about, but when you explain it, I understood it. You said that's false. The government did not produce a single document to controvert official documents that plaintiffs' claims are based on. Okay, now I am now I understand what they're talking about. Interesting. Please comment on that. I'm just curious what you make of it. I also had to read that sentence like 10 times to begin to understand what it meant because it's not very clear. And, I, and what I think it means, okay, is that, uh, see... At a pleading stage, a court cannot enter into credibility issues unless it's something like, you know, outrageous, right? But here, it is not disputed because Mr. Timothy Groh admitted under oath, under penalty of perjury, that innocent people that are not terrorists 
are included in the TSDB. That there's no controversy about that. There is no controversy that they are placed there under secret criteria because their own witness put it under penalty of perjury. So there is no controversy at this stage because they didn't produce anything. You know, in, in a pleading stage, it's not you haven't carried out discovery. So the court has to accept as true the well-pled facts. And that's exactly what the court didn't do here. So here, it's not about disputed facts, because even if we went into a Rule 56, which is motion for summary judgment criteria, where that's where you go into, well, this is disputed, this is uncontroverted. But we're not in that stage. But even if we were in that stage, the basic facts of the amended complaint are uncontroverted and pass muster under a rule 56 criteria regarding because we have the most a an admission by one of the defendants that non-terrorists are placed on a terrorist list for secret criteria even if you don't go into the targeting the mere fact of labeling innocent people as suspected terrorists that is enough injury to continue with the case at this stage. So I, I don't understand, you know, what is disputed? The, the the innocent people are placed on the list? No, that's not disputed because you admitted it, because the defendants admitted it under oath. So it's not disputed. And it's not disputed that that causes a concrete harm because the Supreme Court has said it. So that's not disputed either. So I don't know what what is uh, that we're uh, we asked to uh, resolve disputed facts because that is what lawsuits are for. There is a controversy, and the court has to adjudicate it. That's the role of a court to resolve disputed facts, but that is after discovery, and not at a pleading stage. So it's it's inappropriate uh, to say that we're asking to resolve disputed facts. Well, yeah, that's what a case a legal case is for. And, and the basis of this complaint are completely uncontroverted admissions by defendants. Understood. So to summarize, basically, the government defendants are trying to create controversy where there's none. Moving on. Okay, this is a mouthful. Number 17, the plaintiffs acknowledge that the classification made by the relevant federal agencies, the DHS, and the FBI correspond neither with each other nor with those described by the Baltimore PD. And you respond, <laughs> plaintiffs pleaded the well-documented conflicting versions of the categories in the TSDB to establish inconsistent actions by defendants exceeding the legal authority of the executive order number six. So, it's a more of a misleading statement, as I understand. But a very interesting caveat here. Please explain it. Anna. Well, for me, what what is strange is the word acknowledge, because it's not that we acknowledge; it's that we allege that they don't. They even don't make up their own minds because one agency has one version of who goes into the list, the formal version in published in Federal Register. The other agency has another version. Then the United States Department of uh, Justice audit reports have another version. But here's where it gets uh, where you realize that it's all, you know, that that the whole 
TSDB contraption is a farce. Mr. Grow said, oh, we have people there for immigration and screening purposes, right? But when you look at the audit reports of the terrorist screening center, they don't mention those purposes. They don't mention the secret criteria. Nowhere in those audit reports do they say, oh, also, and handling code X, that is for, that is really not terrorists, but people that are there for immigration purposes. So the diverse versions, yeah, there is controversy about the diverse versions, and that's precisely what makes it illegal because there should be uniformity because the executive order only authorized for known and suspected terrorists and nobody else. And not people, like if you read those categories, people that have a similar name or people that were rejected or, you know, it's just some some very strange and weird uh, criteria that is not what it's supposed to be for known and suspected terrorists. So it's not that we acknowledge, it's that we alleged the disparity and say, this is not right, this is not legal, this is another indication that this there is something really wrong with this list. So it's not an acknowledgement, it's an allegation. We're up to number 18. The plaintiff's alleged harm is not only undefined, it is not traceable to the defendant's conduct and the allegations that the contents of the blacklist have been disclosed to, to others do not sufficiently plead the plaintiff suffered a cognizable injury in fact. It's very similar to what we already have discussed. And you said it's simply false. FBI is responsible for inclusion and maintenance of names in the TSDB. So all this language, it comes down to the fact that FBI is doing it and, and distributing it, it's maintaining distributing, and there's no controversy. So all this cognizable injury, in fact, is simply missing the point. It's not only missing the point, it's contrary, complete opposite of what the Supreme Court held in TransUnion versus Ramirez, a 2021 case, where it said, if a person is falsely labeled a suspected terrorist, and that information is disclosed to third parties, that person has a cognizable injury, a concrete injury, in fact. So that statement is an incorrect conclusion in, in, in all of the statements it contains, particularly that do not sufficiently plead uh, suffering injury, in fact, because all the plaintiffs alleged how they are included in this list labeled as terrorist, and this is distributed throughout the nation and throughout 60 countries. Everywhere they go, it the, the label suspected terrorist follows them. So uh, that is completely inaccurate also. Okay, we are going forward. Number 19, while the interest of targeted justice seeks to protect the germane to its purpose, it has not pleaded facts demonstrating that its members would otherwise have standing 
to sue in their own rights. This one I understood. And you said, yeah, it's a false statement. On at least 125 occasions, the pleadings read plaintiffs and TJ members. Please explain what's the significance of this false allegation. Because of this danger that uh, a court would say, oh, ju targeted justice doesn't have standing to sue on behalf of its members. The criteria for that, if if their members have the injury, in fact, alleged in the complaint, that gives the entity, the organization, standing to sue on behalf of its members. And that clearly happens here. But we went a step further on all the allegations, and 125, and, I'll and I have exactly the number because I did a spreadsheet with every single paragraph of the pleadings. So I was able to count how many, on how many occasions we put targeted justice, uh, you know, plaintiffs and TJ members. All the allegations were made on behalf of plaintiffs, most of them, and TJ members because they are on the same position. So it's inaccurate. It's an incorrect statement of fact because, uh, targeted justice members are in the same position as plaintiffs and since plaintiffs do have established even though the court uh at this time didn't you know the district court didn't want to uh, recognize it but they have established uh the elements of the injury in fact so i i cannot agree with that statement either it's not, it's not accurate it's not correct i understand it and then it's pretty straightforward to me there's really no controversy about it so thank you for explaining that. Uh, we're up to number 20. I, I admire your patience, but stick with us. We just have a couple more to go. Number 20, the complaint here alleges that the defendants are using vast power to regularly broadcast messages directly into the minds of individuals who appear to have little in common other than believe that they are targets of a government conspiracy. Ooh, how it is worded. And they, for the first time, this uh, V2K phenomenon comes into play. And you are saying, false, false, false. Nowhere do plaintiffs' alleged defendants perpetrate microwave auditory effect on them and omits the actual common factor among all the plaintiffs in proper placement on TSDB. This is so egregious to me but please give us your word of wisdom about, about this um uh, yeah well i know the complaint was long but i am absolutely certain nowhere nowhere in that complaint does it say that defendants do the broadcasting of the v2k and the auditory effect nowhere uh, and because we know that's not the case, what we're saying is this is the roster, this is the list, this is improperly labeling people as domestic terrorists. And that's what you're responsible for. And also the HS for their, uh, you know, their gang stalking operation. But uh, so that's that's you will not find anywhere in the complaint alleging that defendants carry out the v2k and another false statement i don't know if you have it in the uh, next two 
because by saying the plaintiffs, not all plaintiffs have B2K, not all plaintiffs allege B2K. So that's another mistake. And we and I uh, specified the paragraphs were, you know, I, I'm not sure now, maybe it's 10 out of 18 plaintiffs. I'm not, I'm not like sure about that, but, but it's certainly not, not all the plaintiffs have B2K. So uh, that's another incorrect statement of fact, because it's, if the decision was said some of the plaintiffs, that would have been true. But it says all the plaintiffs allege, and that's not correct. Yes, your explanation that not all the plaintiffs have uh, V2K is also in this uh, number 20. To me, it's not only false, it's deeply manipulative. The way this statement is constructed is highly, highly manipulative. In this context, notice how the court doesn't discuss at all the illegality of placing non-terrorists in a terrorist database. That is not discussed at all in all of this 22 pages. And that's the gist. That is, you know, the center, the nucleus of the case. And it is not discussed at all. Exactly. It's like celebrating Christmas without Santa Claus. Like <laughs> the Santa Claus is missing. <laughs> We're celebrating Christmas. I don't know if it's the best analogy that uh, that I came up with, but nevertheless, moving on. 21, the complaint is littered with reference to the unlawfulness of government programs that are simply unrelated to the harms the plaintiffs asserts. And you say the statements overlooks four principal claims that pertain to the uncontroverted facts surrounding the ultra-veers, uh, which means beyond your authority, placement of innocent Americans on TSDB that is widely circulated throughout the nations among public and private actors. You you pretty much you're making the same statement all, all over again, just in a different context. But what jumped at me in this statement, the word litter, that's not the word you use in the judicial context. This is just it doesn't belong there to say that the attorney wrote something littered with whatever statement. This is so disrespectful to me. And I don't know. Uh, am I reading? This is my personal impression. It might not be yours, but this is the impression matters, and that's what the that's the impression I'm getting from it. Anna, please explain. For me, it's very disrespectful because uh, the court is concluding that I wrote garbage, and that is very disrespectful. I had never been a you know received any such decision saying that uh, the pleadings are garbage. So that's, you know, you could, she could have, the judge, the court could have said it is replete with, it is full of, but littered with is a connotation of garbage. And every single pleading there is there for a reason. And it was very well thought. And it's, you know, it, it was so complete. It was just factual. I tried as much as possible to not even include adjectives because when you write a legal document, 
you you try to get the reader to reach its own conclusions, not you try to put in there, you know, like this is hey, no, but you know, in in the factual allegations. So for me, it's not correct, but more than not correct, I, I think it's disrespectful. And we have already talked about, yeah, there are concrete harms of the plaintiffs, even if you do not go into the targeting aspect of it, the Supreme Court has this has a decided and 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 the district court is bound by the Supreme Court's decision. Supreme Court has decided that falsely labeling somebody as a suspected terrorist constitute concrete harm susceptible of redressing an Article Three court. So for all those reasons that our paragraph is, um, that statement is inaccurate and it's false because they did allege harms that uh, are related to being illegally placed on that list. I mean, it's just, it's there, it's a direct correlation. I don't, I don't understand. Well, I do understand. And it is because there is no discussion of the illegality of labeling, falsely labeling innocent people as suspected terrorists. That is completely missing from the decision. Yes. Anna, thank you for this explanation. I take offense at the language. This is nothing less than emotional imprinting. The judge could have used other words, but she decided to use the word littered. And I take offense, and I take offense for you because I know the quality of the legal products that you produce is superb. So I'm waving my finger at Judge Rosenthal because I can, you can, but I, I can. And we have the number 22, and this is the last one. And this is, now it now we're getting personal. <laughs> I'm actually mentioned in this statement. The amendment complaint does not allege facts that show bears standing to sue. Hey, that's me. And then you say, oh, no, plaintiff bear alleged to be illegally included in the TSDB. And this is correct. This is why I sent that letter but before, way before we filed the lawsuit. And it's clearly articulated in your pleadings. But now it's personal. Judge Rosenthal, that is simply not true. Because you to now you're talking about me. Anna, do you have anything to say? Well, like we said there, everybody, every single plaintiff alleged that they were illegally included in the TSDB and that they're not suspected terrorists to be included there. But I think the reason why um, you were included as the last, you know, thought there is because um, it is an uncontroverted fact admitted a concluded and you know more than me about this language but that Havana first of all that you have been diagnosed with Havana syndrome you have a formal diagnosis and number two that the National Academies of Science and Engineering and Engineering have concluded that the only cause of Havana syndrome is post microwaves right so uh you did plead a prima facie case that you are being attacked with these uh, directed energy weapons and uh, even though, you know, we, we 
did not allege that it was the, those defendants. It is as a result of defendants' actions. Think that you just are particularly a threat because of your credibility and because you're so documented, your case is so documented, and they just wanted to throw that in there. Um, but uh, certainly a, you did allege that you were incorrectly placed on the TSCB and pursuant to TransUnion versus Ramirez, you have a concrete harm because every day, every day the FBI distributes the terrorist screening database with every targeted individual's name on it, labeling them as a suspected terrorist. So yeah, you did allege harm. Oh, yes, I certainly did. And I, I'm honored to be singled out to be a target of these allegations. I'm honored to be a part of this fight. I take it personally, and I understand how many lives depend on the outcome of this case, just like you, Anna. We take it personally, and, you know, I'll say in rain or shine, unless we're incapacitated. We will be here every Sunday. I would like to finish with a couple of lines from your legal brief. This is not an exhaustive list of conclusions of facts contained in the district court's decision. It only contains the most salient ones that warrants reversal. Thank you, Anna. Yeah, well, I, I wasn't going to nitpick on things that that were incorrect, but not really, you know, that important because it's cumulative. The thing is, it's cumulative, the language. It's like when uh, defendants first went to the court and said, this is fantastical. This is, you know, uh, which is which is partly what the court adopted. Right. Uh, it was it was hate speech. The, and, and I denounced it as such in the pleadings i said you know the defendants are supposed to believe the victims and the way they're characterizing uh their their pleadings is it constitutes hate speech so they toned it down a little bit but um you know the court adopted it and that's just not right because the entire tone of the decision is is uh is in in my perception is not respectful of plaintiff's claims and and that's what you know one of the things that we're going to ask uh the the fifth circuit you know is to uh order defendants to abstain from this conduct because it is an obstacle to the truth finding process that it's supposed to happen in a court of law so um Right, you know, we're gonna to get to that. That's part of the of the um of the arguments we're gonna bring before the court. Yes, we will. Thank you for your patience. This concludes twenty-two false and misleading statements, and we are done with our legal segment. Uh, it means that we can move on and speak to our special guest, Dr. Astrid uh, Stockelberger. Here's uh, Dr. Stackelberger's website where you can find a lot of information about this remarkable woman that we will be talking uh, to. She's a scientist. She's she's an author. She's a public speaker. She's an international health expert. And it's, instead of me reading her res resume, I'll, I would like hear from hear from Astrid herself about your journey, 
about the issues that you're, you're working on, about your projects. Welcome to the show again. Thank you. Um, so shall I, I'll, I'll give a, a brief run through some relevant facts of my career. Um, well, I started, I have a very multidisciplinary path because I started in biology. I got very bored except genetics, but it was, it was not advanced at all. And I went in, into, uh, you know, bachelor in psychology uh, also. And then I, I went into mental health and I did, uh, and that's related to what we do because I was very interested in cross-cultural uh, psychology, mental health and the media, etc. And now it's very relevant what's going on. Uh, but the mental health, I did, um, I made uh, something that will interest what we're going to talk about is I made a master degree uh, with WHO in mental health division on a cross-cultural research that I had to, you know, bring up. And I was lucky, you know, to to be there to help for two years and work as uh, work half time. And um, I did something very interesting. It was cross-cultural diagnosis of mental health in eight countries. And the, the findings were, it was with John Berry from Canada, who was supervising me, and, and Piat Azen from Switzerland, who was working a lot in, in that field. But it, the, it, it never left me that the diagnosis in different culture is different. And it was very different in, in Africa. It's a social diagnosis. And in the U.S., it is completely related to the pharma already at that time uh, and very individualist. So uh, you had very different ways to to diagnose in the primary health care centers. Anyway, so then then I, I was co-opted in another um, international study in the population on bereavement and, and depression after bereavement, the difference between man and woman, which never left me also. Man and woman are different biologically, even if they try to erase that. Um, and I did uh, two or three books on that after that, in, also in aging. And um, my first book, I was not even 33 years old, and I was head of this Swiss research program on aging. Uh, and uh, we did a review of all the literature. So I learned to do reviews of literature, multidisciplinary. And and um, I always had like kind of two jobs, one you know uh, in research, one in teaching. And one of maybe three in international world and WHO. I was very early uh, with that program, co-opted as a rapporteur, you know, uh, in the expert groups uh, on on aging and life course longevity, and 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 that became my entry door in the international WHO functioning because I thought it's great if we can all speak together and share science. I saw the nice sides, but I also saw a few evil sides like the mega cities uh, program and i thought why are they doing this and you know so so my first half of career was very much into um aging and i organized many things for the politicians and books etc and then the second part i was more uh, only in the faculty of medicine uh, with mandates in who and that was in the institute of social and preventive medicine which uh, is part of public health and public health is i realized today nobody knows what is public health it's like they made this big cloud called public health, but it's it's fascinating because it's health related to everything possible, which could be a factor, cofactor in the environment, uh, in the home, um, in the food, uh, in in the water, in in your subjective and emotion. Everything can be a cofactor or a factor of health or disease. And that's in general, it's not just mental, it's physical, it can be metabolic, or depression can be metabolic, it's not always a mental health, 
in our cases now it is a radiation that is induced in a biocode even we could go to that and anyway so you see that all my research came more and more into anti-aging and innovation because the more you get old the more you get innovation you get spare parts you get technology and i i was i was uh, in in a lot of ethical institutes um like um uh, nothing, nothing. No, there's one in uh, I can never remember the name in in Swiss Germ in Germany that's very important on ethics and um, technology. And I presented my research, and they were shocked. They said, "Oh, what you're saying is really bad. It's böse." And and I I said, "No, I'm not for transhumanism, but for for aging, it can you know help your hip. Help this technology can be excellent in, in you know with ear aids, uh, even bionic eyes." <laughs> and things, but what was alarming already then is that we went from mechanical prosthesis to um, to a new uh, generation of prosthesis in Titan, and then it was electrically monitored outside to see if the graft had taken or if there was a problem. So the doctor or you as a patient had a direct impact or no, a direct monitoring a bit like the Apple Watch that came also later uh, on on your body, and I thought that's alarming, <laughs> and they, they, because I mean people can hack your your knee, <laughs> you know, basically. So more and more the research came with innovation, um, advanced innovation with the EU in expert groups, and where I noticed that um, everything was going into technology, smart cities, and the the fact that the systems were becoming more and more. Uh, and I, I had to evaluate with engineers and technicians and and um, also commercials, industrials, uh, if if the research project uh, was of value, multidisciplinary. And what worried me is that in the last five years, uh, it became more and more the systems of systems that everything was monitored, like the last one was a toothbrush that was a e-toothbrush, <laughs> like, you know, um, that a new generation, the toothbrush was connected to the dentist through um, company. And the old person uh, could uh, br brush your teeth, but you could also have a ring bell or a light that could say, you have not brushed your teeth. <laughs> and it became orange if you hadn't done it for two days and red then after. That, that was already, what are, they're getting into the lives of people. But one other step was that the, the toothbrush had a camera and could take pictures of the mouth and send it to the dentist. And there's only one step from that to take the saliva and the DNA and send it through Wi-Fi because that's possible now. I, You see, that's why I'm, I'm very at ease to talk of technology because I know very well what is already in the research pipeline and is already done. The e-mirror that analyzes Alzheimer's disease a person uh, and can, you know, the toilet, <laughs> you can analyze your biomaterial, uh, the organ on the chip. That was with the Austrian government. I was in, in that group and I was fascinated by it. It was a lot of work. You know, we always have 10, 20 projects, but more and more it became big projects with, with a political and ethical implication. And I was always the... The Guardian of Ethics, um, I even participated in a booklet you can find on, on one of the website. And I was very strict. I said, the data cannot get out of privacy. And it's very dangerous. Once it gets out of your home, it can go to some other company. 
and and the engineers uh, said yes it's true we need to do um what's the name it, it's it's a um, um a closed circuit of internet uh there is a name for that uh it will come back and and it is outside of microsoft outside of everything and even then it's not sure it's secure so yeah so i i I kept on uh, also working with WHO, and the last one was on innovation in 2017, uh, where I had to help to wrap up all the in some innovation uh, system, how to change policymakers with innovation. But I just have to say that um, the epidemic and why I'm called the WHO whistleblower is that I was um, contracted with the university and the WHO, but WHO contracted me to to um, teach uh, with. Georgetown, Pretoria, but I had the biggest chunk of emergency management, communication, um, and case studies, typology. And so I was right there. I knew already off of, you know, a lot of people in WHO. So it was very easy for me to organize that. And it went on for three years. Fascinating. I met the top, for example, top expert in Ebola. And he told me, for those who listen, because they're preparing Ebola, for example, he said, I was doing a typology on Marburg disease and Ebola. And he said, Astrid, this is the least contagious of all. It's very easy to monitor Ebola because the person has to be very, very sick. His fluids has to be shared. So it's either at the deathbed, either in in the cemetery or you know, in the coffin that people can contract it. So everything that will go on is total crap. It's not possible. Anyway, so this is my my um, line was very um, of path of life, went in many directions. And that allows me today to participate uh, in many. And I did a lot of conferences. I was already public before um, COVID-19. But this is such a huge um, situation. And what you are bringing to the table, like I said already, is so important because the mental health and the mind is at the center of everything if they take control of the mind they can take control of everything it's not that we are going to be cyborgs this covert harassment and all this cyber torture as the un has classified it is um it's out of proportion and invisible and so not talked about but i i promise and i have already started to talk to it every time i can <laughs> so um, that's also thanks to knowing you and magnus olson and other uh, richard in the european coalition against uh covered um, harassment you and 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 also anna that you you are so many suffering that I, you know it's we, we can only sense a little bit because i feel that the computer suddenly can harm me and I, I go away from it and it disappears. So I have, you know, I had a few symptoms like that. But to you now, because I, I have gone around uh, giving some input so people can see that. Yeah, you can. they can see my CV on my website if they want to see my letters of reference. So I'm not fake. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, Esther, you're not fake. You have a very impressive CV in, in the way you talk about the projects that, that you work with is truly multidisciplinary. And this is what we need today. We can't be, it can be a narrow project in one specialty because everything is connected. AI targeting 
uh, privacy of your cognitive data. It's all connected and we need experts like you, Astrid. And yes, I was uh, lucky enough to uh, speak at the same conference uh, where you you were also a speaker and back in the 2022. Not many people know that you were instrumental in placing Lyme disease in the international classification of diseases, which was missing before. And we have a similar situation. And I asked you if you would like to join in our efforts, though, let me just uh, play some slides. Uh, so I will explain the foundation for this project. So this is this is the missing diagnosis that we desperately need to place on the international classification of diseases, which currently doesn't have it. And what I'm talking about, I'm talking about non-kinetic brain injury. Currently, we only have something like MTBI or kinetic brain injury, similar to concussion. Let me explain the difference between kinetic and non-kinetic. As you can see on the left, whatever, a ball <laughs> is hitting uh, the head and, and there's, there's a concussion. So some projectile or you hit a concrete or even if it's, a, for example, a... A blast, if the air is moving, something is moving and causing the concussion. So MTBI, mild traumatic brain injury, is synonymous with concussion. But what is missing from the international classification of diseases is non-kinetic brain injury right here. And in non-kinetic, nothing physical is moving. Only the energy is moving. And this is what so-called Havana syndrome is. And there's a lot of confusion about how to diagnose, who can diagnose it. And we need to bring it by placing it in the, in the classification. And this is the project I think is for you. Basically what's happening is that the doctors today can diagnose patients with complications uh, of NKTB, the non-kinetic brain injury, such as vestibular damage. You can go to Dr. Hoffman in Miami. He can diagnose you with vestibular damage due to directed energy exposure. The work at uh, um, UPenn, uh, University of Pennsylvania, they detected white track connectivity changes uh, using this uh, method, uh, diffusion tensor imaging, MRI. You can detect neurocognitive changes. I went through a neurocognitive panel and they, they said that I basically have a premorbid cognitive changes. They can be diagnosed. You can detect biomarkers of blood-brain barrier permeability, just like with concussion. Uh, you have you can diagnose disruption in neural networks. Uh, one of the methods uh, can be used for that is uh, called a quantitative EEG, SW Loretta is a, a software package that does that, that basically produces that DTI-like images, and it measures the distribution of electric uh, signals in the brain. And you can have episodic incapacitation, just like Havana syndrome. People were temporarily incapacitated with sudden uh, onset uh, and off offset. And so we can diagnose all these things, but we have no diagnosis to attach them to. Because if we attach all these things to MTBI, 
it it would be like this is because of concussion but there's no concussion because there's no projectile there's nothing physical mechanical hitting your head and so what's also interesting it's one of those rare situations when in the military medicine this diagnosis actually exists and it's called unconventionally acquired brain injury and it is explained to be due to intentional use of directed energy but when you read this article in the uh, military medicine it is unbelievable they present you to with two with two scenarios when when they diagnose you with ubi if source is unknown but most likely is due to directed energy this should be recognized as a gross violation of geneva convention and every human right so it is basically a public safety issue and then there's a second scenario for the same diagnosis let's say source is unknown but classified. In this case, the main concern of the authors is that any information related to the issue of national security should be kept out of the inquiry of academic and civilian scientists as well as medical practitioners. They're talking about you, Astrid. They want to hide this public safety issue from you, and we are not going to have it. This is why I asked you to be a part of this project and to finally end this confusion because we, this diagnosis, the non-kinetic brain injury diagnosis will, will put an end to all this confusion, whether it's a Havana syndrome, whether it's a Havana cohort of Havana syndrome, whether this anomalous health incident, this is what the government a language that they want us to use is anomalous health incident, which is which is kind of laughable uh, because it's just an event. Acquired neurosensory dysfunction. This is what Dr. Hoffer, using his vestibular diagnostic criteria and other diagnostic criteria, this is what he called this acquired neurosensory dysfunction. There's the CDC case study that definition given in 2019 for Havana syndrome. There are reports of, uh, by University of Pennsylvania where they describe the white track changes in these patients. There's a National Academy of Science report, uh, which Anna mentioned in connection uh, with our lawsuit. Uh, it was issued in December 2020, and it and it said that the most plausible mechanism for Havana syndrome is directed pulse radio frequency energy in the microwave range. There's also another international community scientific report on AHI on anomalous health incidents. It was obtained by FOIA. It, it was issued in September 2022, which confirmed the findings of National Academy of Sciences. There's an admission by a neuroweapon expert, Dr. Giordano, that your United States possesses weapons capable of causing Havana syndrome. And then there's finally this uh, most recent uh, work by um, Robert McRae, who advises NATO on technological advancements and, and weaponry, who suggested a term neurostrike for this Havana syndrome-like condition. But all this confusion will go away if we have a diagnosis that will 
educate the doctors. The doctors will think about it differently. In my article, Inadequacy of uh, the Mindset of Physicians in the Era of Newer Weapons, I specifically point out that the reason they cannot even diagnose Havana syndrome because it's not on the menu. They don't know that this thing exists. But if it was in the classification of diseases, it was it would be on the menu of their differential diagnosis. So my call to you, and I'm going to stop sharing. Uh, yeah, thank you, Len. It's uh, great to present this uh, clearly because it's uh, not many people know about it. So they will be very interested in, and I, I agree uh, we really with all points because we, you know, I often say the, the medicine of the future will be, you know, will have to be the medicine of frequency. And I'm not the only one saying that um, because uh, we are bioelectric. Uh, we, uh, and people don't know this because we have electroencephalogram, electrocardiogram, and there are people having heart attacks. It's not heart attacks, it's electric arrest. Uh, you know, you can arrest the electricity with a, a weapon. And I, I suspect that that's what is happening with people, this sudden death. Um, but um, so I, 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 yes, I will, um, I, I would, I really would like, uh, and I will agree to contribute, uh, you know, according to the time I have been my experience, I will go and get those who have participated in the group. What uh, we had with uh, Lyme disease, is that um, there was a very interesting group of experts uh, from doctors to pharmacists who had, who are victims themselves, uh, to a veterinarian, because Lyme disease is also about animals um, and, and to people like me uh, who, who can go to the UN. And they, they've spotted me out. There's even, she's called uh, Lucie Taille. She's from Florida. She was working at one point in the UN and she has a Lyme disease herself. So she was very motivated to, to, to find that uh, because uh, she was um, she she was a uh, hurt she was hurt yeah I don't know how to say she was sick uh, every now and then and everybody had different uh, experiences and they, it was a bit like um, like you described um, it, it is that the the symptoms and the diagnosis is so difficult because you know some the Lyme disease is a, a cold infection dormant and it wakes up and it goes wherever you weak in the body so of course it's a multi-diagnosis situation and uh, many uh, have made fun out of them saying uh, they have mental problems no they they really are suffering and and um so i it was a, a very very good group and the un surely helped because uh we went to see um i i know the office of high commissioner i know who and the UN rapporteur. So the UN rapporteur on uh, mental health and uh, one on physical activity. We went to see the one um, on mental health, and he described very much the children that we had evidence of the children. So we that was very good. And then we I, I brought them to the um, WHO, and we went to the mental health department because nobody else I could see in that whole organization that would take care of that. Because infectious disease was, you know, only on the big things, and they did not. And Professor Perron, who is a, a French um, head of infectious disease uh, in France, um, he wrote a book uh, on the truth on Lyme, but he romanticized it because it is so 
huge the truth around Lyme disease. He told me it is it is a weapon. It has been developed in the Second World War, uh, First World War, and they have spread it all over Vermont. In Verm I think it, there was a plant in Vermont, um, you know, that spread it to uh, etc. So the whole story was clear that, of course, it's perfect for the pharma. You have a chronic disease and you go die slowly. That's the best business. Um, so it, it was a very um, important um, step. And we used all the instruments in WHO and in the UN and from the rapporteur uh, to give credit to the cause. But we wrote a, a big booklet that I can give to you. Um, it's free. You can post it uh, all together where everybody put it's one person really wrote it. Uh, but then we put all our pieces on, on the document. So it was a big document and we deposited to the head of the WHO. At, at the moment, we have a dictator at the head of WHO who has not been elected normally. It's the it's the private sector, so it will be a bit difficult. But what I can say is that you, you have um, already a text in the United Nations because um, Niels Meltzer, who is a Swiss, and I met him, and he, he is, uh, um, you know, Special rapporteur, you have independent uh, expert reports and you have special rapporteur. They are mandated by the Office of High Commissioner on different topics. And he was on the topic of torture and other cruel, inhuman, degradating treatment or punishment. And a group um, from a targeted IFF, you probably know them. Uh, they uh, There are an international um, freedom from targeted uh, uh, harassment uh, and they wrote a letter everything and that helped him also to bring it uh, further and he acknowledged in the UN that this was a very important subversive um, uh, situation because it's uh, more than psychological it's invisible uh, you cannot see it uh, it can be done by any cause because if you take the chain of causality I was trying to you know think about it that's where it's going to be complicated, but it is, it's also a good challenge. It's, it's like a criminal scene because it is criminal. Intentional is criminal and somebody hiding where the weapon comes from. And we saw this with Ma Maui laser, you know, a device that we don't know exactly. Uh, we call, uh, you know, microwave directed energy uh, can be anywhere. And we know, I know from experts that they have oh, what well, we can see. Uh, they have changed all the lamps everywhere in the world, the street lamps. Uh, they have put some very strange things in there, and it's not only 5G. It's um, uh, Mark Steele who says that in the UK that it is uh, microwave-directed energy, and he went to the police station and said, did you see what you're putting in there? This, he, he's an expert in, in weapon. So he could be one of, of the experts also, you see, because we are living this situation. And so lamps... The cameras, somebody from the CERN came to tell me that the cameras in the street are not cameras and that they have put a very specific, uh, maybe she couldn't tell me exactly everything, but it's, I, I guessed, and I, I looked at a bit of lit literature, so the, there is a kind of a infrared laser beam and you can also, of course, target people bi biometrically because the military can do that with helicopters. They can follow somebody underground 300 meters under the Lake of Geneva, it happens. So that's why I know because I, I have an expert of helicopters around me from US, former elite. Um, so it can come from different causes. It can come from 5G, from lamps, from um, 
you know, uh, things outside and things inside, uh, inside your home. So it's it's very dangerous and it affects everybody. It can affect everybody. And so it is not only like you wrote uh, in one of the article or somebody wrote that it is not only military. It is definitely, yeah, you said that public health safety, but it is really a civil um, civilian collective problem. They are using, I know that for sure, they're using that in crowds in Australia. Again, the crowds who are resisting and they just put, a, you know, a bit, we could, we saw them take it out in on videos. They take it, they put the radiation, everybody has headaches, uh, you know, are hurt and they have to leave. It's like the bees leave, you know, when they don't like it. But so it is very serious and it is used today. So I think that um, the, the first thing is to get a group, is to acknowledge you already have it, but to extend it to people who are, you know, uh, into nanotech because before we thought it's we have to, it's the big weapons doing that but i suspect today that they can have relay and that what you observed uh, in your microscope can be a relay of a frequency a radio frequency we know this with biocoding diseases where dr ben venista keep on quoting him from france he did a patent on hiv aids it's not hiv aids it's a code biocode it's Fauci and Professor Montagnier admitted that, yeah, he saw the results. So we are living in a, such a big thing that it can really have implications on many topics. But you're, the, the suffering is the number one. Uh, and we're glad there is also a lawyer, Anna. So this is fantastic. And uh, we need to make a document and, and to get that to, so that people understand. And then we have to bring it. We will find the right path. I, I always, I always uh, believe and experience in my life inspirations. So we, the right time will come with the right things happening. But yes, I, I'm, I'm very happy to, to be with you uh, both and the whole group. And um, yeah, I have many questions, of course, uh, to you also. You know, like, is laser not already classified in international classification of disease? What can we relate it to? This is also a work we have to do. Um, and also another point, and then I will leave you the floor. Um, the you see, I, I wrote that down. There's in the UN. There is of course. Uh, there is of course this WHO ICD, but you also have WHO typology of an epidemic, um, and they have radiation, but it's not controlled in WHO. And I always, when I prepared my typology, you know, infectious disease foodborne, chemical, radioactive, radio, radio, radionuclear. Actually, it is the whole radiation. Uh, polonium is a radioactive element that can kill. So the four typologies uh, are important, uh, but the last one, radionuclear, radiation elements are, that are radioactive, like radioactive pollution, uh, I think and I suspect that they have used radioactivity to make the shedding. Um, but it's an intuition, and that uh, uh, the this either um, the UBI gets with related to that agency also, or it is a completely new typology that we need to construct. It's the impact of technology, like even the phone radiation. I had a student, a former WHO in uh, Burundi, um, who got harassed, and he. In the Master of Public Health, you can choose 
your your work. So he wanted to do on the impact of phones on on cancer in the brain, and that was uh, fifteen years ago. And there was there are documents, there were documents there. So I must have documents in my computer because he he did a very good you know um, a report, but it means that they already had documents that disappeared. Like on five G, there are lots. There are lots of things in the UN and, and groups who have display things. So what I'm saying is there's WHO, there's WHO and related agencies. And um, there was a last one. Uh, oh, yeah, there is the under the Social Security, no, the Security Council of the United Nations uh, General Assembly, Secretary General, a very high up. You have the International Court of Justice, International Criminal Court, and you have the Nuremberg, uh, who with Article 7 included to arrest the real ones, came under the UN. So they have the whole monopoly. But the UN Convention on Bioweapon is today too weak to address what we're living. So we have to go and look at this UN Convention on Bioweapon because I always say it's biotech and nano or bio nanotech weaponry and we have to include emf <laughs> or i don't know what is the term but we need to add a protocol to this convention that it is forbidden everything electronic technology related and robot related like we should have a law against robot i can't believe that after asimov who said the three rules on robots we haven't made you know a clear clear international convention that there is no way a robot can come and direct your house or you know be autonomous or the programmer can direct it anyway so um, i will stop there uh, just for my first <laughs> chunk because it's such an interesting topic but i see that th there are already lots of documents but there is a big gap that has to be filled well if if you uh, allow me i i want to mention something that uh you uh you, you deem outrageous that the dentist um, with you know with that brush uh, can determine if the person brush or not but I invite you to look into the fact that hundreds well probably thousands not hundreds of thousands but thousands of people including me have what is called an illegal wireless area body network because doctors have implanted those illegal chips throughout our bodies oh. with the with the purpose of controlling thought a body a uh, you know the organs and ultimately destroying it and many of us are undergoing that battle every day so it's when medicine has crossed the line when doctors no longer adhere to the their hippocratic oath that's when that's when it all has failed and we are trying to even though our complaint doesn't deal with implants i just tell you it's an epidemic in the united states and uh it's it's a very very tragic situation for many so i, I know that probably as a genuinely good doctor it shocks your conscience but it seems to me that um, too many doctors stopped having a conscience. 
I'm not I'm not shocked. So that's to respond to this. I'm not shocked at all. And I know that a lot of military, US military, but all over the world are chipped already and they have PTSD heavy. And so I think we can deactivate that. But I I, I let I let Astrid and, and Anna, very, very good points. Uh, sometimes all these tasks seem to be so impossibly humongous to like where do you even start we have this we have that we we have like where do you start but you have to start somewhere i really appreciate your resolve to this specific project we can make that one step toward the recognition of non-kinetic brain injury that would be a huge accomplishment then it will open doors for all kinds of conversation. It will legitimize this reality of this interfering with your brain, with your organs, using remote electromagnetic frequency. So thank you for your commitment. I think we, today is the officially the beginning of this project that Astrid and I will be working. Astrid will um, will work on building a, a European team and I will be working on building the US-based team and together we will apply our efforts toward this project of bringing a non-kinetic brain injury into the classification of diseases. So it is no longer a controversy. This is a real disease with real consequences and all this sequelae that that we can diagnose, we can attach it to a real recognizable condition. So thank you for that. Before we go into our uh, final thoughts, uh, I made some notes while Anna was uh, asking for special project. I made a list, so I would like to summarize it real quick to make Anna's work easier. So first one, lawsuit register, use both form and the email. The second one, Use Etsy store so when you go to New Orleans, you have your gear, you have your you have your t-shirt. <laughs> exactly. Then the third one is watch your water bills, watch your electric bills, and especially watch your water bills, the utility, unreasonable increase of your utility bills is something that we noticed is happening to targeted individuals. And finally, tonight, don't miss a live events on Rumble in Spanish with Anna Toledo. We will put all this information in the description of, the, of uh, today's episode. And now, Anna, please give us your final thoughts for today's edition. Anna. Well, I thank you, Len. Uh, thank you, doctor. I just want uh, all all of the community out there to know that I am I am so deeply hurt to hear that people are suffering so much, and I want so badly to get this done as soon as possible because I know that people are suffering, but it's beyond my control. I have done everything I can to make it as expedited as possible but one has to follow the procedures. So um, until then, I just hope that you have strength and that you continue to have the hope that we are going to end this atrocious program 
and uh, and because because truth and justice and, and God are with us. So I'm, I'm just so emotional because I have heard so many people are suffering and my heart goes out to them. So, uh, but I am absolutely, um, I, I am very certain that justice will prevail because truth is on our side and the constitution is on our side. So that's why uh, I know that the light at the end of the tunnel will, will shine for all of us. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, Anna. We will be looking for that light at the end of the tunnel. I can almost see it from here, but today we're still not free, and therefore we will still keep fighting. Uh, Dr. Astrid Stackelberger, you have given us so much information today, and you gave us real hope about uh, specific projects that we can do today. What are your final thoughts uh, final message for our viewers today. Uh, yeah, well, you know, I'm I'm always touched when uh, the topic there are people suffering um, uh, unjustly. Uh, I hate that, and um, that there are solutions. I know, I'm sure there's solution. I, I I want to tell you, I I feel in my guts that it's not that far, because um, in Paris <clears throat> the the Rockefeller, when he's changed all the curriculum of the faculties of medicine everywhere in the world, you know, 100 years ago, he took out all the natural medicine, but he also took away from all the hospitals in France, but I didn't know that, all the scalar wave treatment of Lavkovsky. And this is, the I, I already have ideas of, you know, parts where to go so it means you know we know that electromagnetic is can harm but can heal you and we have to find the anti-note the, the note that 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 makes you sick and the note that heals you it's like organs in a cathedral you know so um that's one one thing i'm thinking of because i have to react to that to give hope to people also and uh the other one is um, with what is going on in the nanotech in our in in not our <laughs> but in um in the blood of you know the injected people and maybe even ours at one point too we don't know um there is if there is really something strange and sick uh, what Ricardo Delgado from the Quinta Columna says you have an RFID in your in your body the first thing to do is to eat a lot of glutathione and zinc um or dioxide chlorine chlorine dioxide i never know <laughs> uh, do you see the chlor yeah chlorine di dioxide uh, yeah and and this can already maybe stop it but what i'm thinking of as a device the 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 clinics have it's one of the way i prove we are electromagnetic is they already have they have scanners but they have scanners that are electromagnetic and if they have already the magnetic through diagnosing they have the magnetic for healing so some people you know uh, dr ariana love had a very strange intoxication she was really like something creepy going in in her you know eating her arm and she took there are two magnets I, apparently the idea of having a, a magnet it's not you know not scalar waves maybe magnet, but there is something to do to disactivate uh the chip to disactivate the robot dog. <laughs> you see, 
we don't just don't know because we have to think out of the box and we need engineers and we need people who think with us. But um, I see already a lot of solution and I I will do what I can. I'm very uh, overwhelmed with a lot of, uh, you know, things, but I I will do my best. um, And I'm sure that with the help of everybody and everybody collaborating, it's a collective project. It's really is. And now we need you. (laughs) (laughs) And I think a a good idea is to start, you know, doing kind of a a booklet of, uh, you know, maybe you have already books, but um, or a PowerPoint like you did and and to do the a little bit of the strategy and then try can when when things calm down, because we're going through pretty difficult times now. Uh, you know, they're announcing that FEMA is going to make an alert uh, broadcasting this, you know, call on the 4th of October or 11th of October, Todd Calendar even found it in the texts, and that they're trying going to try lockdown in in, in, um, in November, which it, it seems very, very possible. I always said they're going to do more and more, and they're going to invent one thing, and it is nothing. They're, they're just in, their algorithm is, we create a rumor, we create fear, and we get the response and we're forcing it to all with a big lies and people rush into it. But what is worrying is they're trying to get children. And in Norway, they have already made it um, obligatory to to, to vaccinate uh, children up to 15. They want the children and the babies. And in, in Australia also, they're forcing some of the areas. You have to be really careful. Uh, but careful with children because... Uh, you know, they're trying to also change their minds and becoming transgender and they're trying to change the, even the heads of the banks and the heads of military are changing sex. Now, I think it's the voice in the skull and it's also the mind program. I mean, my dad, who is a military, he, he would get crazy to see that. But anyway, we, we're going through tough times, but there are really solutions. Really, I, I'm absolutely sure. Um so we, yes, I'm with you. We're, you're not alone and I'll do my best to get, you know, the right human, humanitarian peace people. Thank you, Dr. Stas Stackelberger. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. Let's roll up our sleeves and, and get to work. And okay. uh, as for me, I am officially obligated to call this episode false and misleading statements part two otherwise our viewers would be looking for the continuation of part one uh so there we accomplished this goal but you know me i'm always seeing things in my own light and to me this is also an episode about things that are missing first we're missing the integrity from the district court judge in houston who let forego the integrity when treating our case. Neutrality, impartiality, and fair treatment was nowhere to be found in her order. Second, we have missing the diagnosis of the non-kinetic brain injury. Having this diagnosis in the international classification of diseases was, would set things straight and end all the confusion associated with this uh, placeholder that we've been using uh, colloquially called Havana syndrome. But it's just confusing that that this is not uh, how we should be talking about it. And finally, we are missing basic human empathy from the people who are perpetrating the targeting program. And the part, especially the part related to the use of directed energy against civilians, 
this is not about me, but I know the level of brutality and simply animalistic torture that this can be escalated to. So we need all, we need to find all these missing things, missing integrity, missing diagnosis, and missing empathy. For as long as my brain can produce cohesive sentences and my vocal cords can produce discernible words, I'll be here making noises every Sunday, rain or shine. Mm -hmm.